Once again, good morning. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, um, here at Hope Covenant Church, we are we are on a journey of learning what it means to be more and more uh, a family. And here at Hope, we are a grace-based family where anyone can find and follow Jesus. And, and our Hope Church family is focused on what we're calling the big three. We say this just about every week. I bet even with the slide up, you guys can get this. What are our big three, everyone? Love God, love others, and following Jesus together. There we go. And uh, today we are going to look at what it means to follow Jesus when we discover that he might be a different kind of king than we assumed he is. And that's a big part of what Palm Sunday is all about. And actually, um, this is the beginning of what many uh, in the church tradition we call Holy Week. It starts with Palm Sunday. And uh, it extends through the week. There's Monday, Thursday, there's Good Friday. There's then the big celebration at the end, Easter Sunday. But it all starts on Palm Sunday. Um, And that's a big part of what Palm Sunday is all about, the different kind of king than people were expecting. And we'll get into that story in just a little bit. But I want to start by asking you, has there ever been a time where you were looking forward to something but it just didn't quite meet your expectations. Can you think of a time where that's happened in your life where, you know, it didn't quite measure up, maybe you were surprised or disappointed? Um, probably an easy one to go to is, is maybe you were at a movie and you were looking forward to going. Uh, maybe it's because you read and loved the book, which is, you know, pro tip for you right here, just prepare to be underwhelmed, right? If you like the book. No, is this just me? Yeah, okay. I'm starting to think I was weirder than I am. Um, not on that one, at least. But you're looking forward. You, you go to this movie, you watch the movie, and like halfway through, you are ready to get up and just walk out. Um, personally, I can't do that because I just hang on to, oh, there's going to be a plot. There's something's going to save it, and it's going to be awesome at the end. Is anybody else, like, are you able, anyone here, just if, if the movie sucks halfway out, are you just going to go? Anyone here that would do that? Is this okay? Some of you with good boundaries. That's good. That's good. I don't have those good boundaries. You know, I'm the sucker that waits till the end. It's over. The credits start. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. That's it? Like, totally fell flat. Anybody think of a movie like that that you've gone to or seen or has been reputed that way? I'm getting nods. We won't, we won't ask you to yell any out because I tried doing that last service and I had no idea what the teens were telling me. So, but... Um, but, you know, that, that's, that's kind of an experience that's common to life. Uh, many times we do, we get excited about something. We think we're going to have this great experience, and then we end up disappointed. Oftentimes it happens maybe even earlier in our adulthood where, you know, um, you, know you finally landed that dream job. Oh, this is going to be amazing. And a couple months in, it's a little disappointing. Has anybody ever had that experience before? Uh, or how about um, you wanted a certain car, a certain vehicle, you got to have it, going to get it, so excited, and then you got it, uh, and it's not comfortable, or it's, you know, it's not what you were hoping for. Anybody ever heard that? See, even the test drive, sometimes we can fool ourselves into something, and the expectations fall flat uh, later. Um, <clears throat> this one, uh, I, I won't name any names, but um, my son Noah, uh, <laughs> we're not on Facebook, so... Um, uh, had a roommate, had, had a couple roommates. One of his first places that he had a roommate, he was so excited. 
oh, it's going to be awesome. We're great friends. This is the best. They sign a one-year lease, and about, I don't know, three, four, five days in, they're like, oh, my gosh, this was a huge mistake, right? Anybody ever had an experience like that with a roommate? Um, this one is just going to betray my shallow terribleness. I probably shouldn't tell this story, but I will. Um, <clears throat> I, I remember uh, one of my, this kid was my friend. He was a friend of mine, super good looking guy in junior high. And, you know, the girls were really kind of, you know, flirting with him all the time and attracted to him. And, and it got difficult because the girl that I had a crush on actually liked him. And so they started dating. And he's a pretty good looking guy. Um, and, then, uh, and then she actually, they kissed. And... Um, how shallow am I that I found out not long later that, that he was a terrible kisser. He actually got a, isn't that terrible? It's awful. And then what kind of friend am I? I was like, should I tell him? No, I'm not going to tell him. This is too juicy. This is too good. So level the playing field. But expectations for that young lady were not met for sure. Now, sometimes it happens the opposite way where we thought we're going to be disappointed by something or, you know, we're kind of muted and then we're pleasantly surprised. Again, like this happens, an easy example would be like a movie. Somebody talks you into, you know, watching this movie and you reluctantly agree, fellas, chick flick with your lady, hello, right? And you reluctantly agree, like, oh, fine. Yeah, okay, well, I'll, I'll watch that with you. But then you admit you get to the end of the movie and you're completely blown away like, wow, that was incredible. Have you ever had that happen, right? Ever had that? I mean, yeah, my friend Casey back here, that happened with him with Twilight. Um, <laughs> Troy, was it Downton Abbey you got hooked on with Carrie? Yeah, I mean, this is, right? It's like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Sometimes it's good. And life is filled with those kinds of episodes, right? We anticipate something, and then either it matches up with our expectations by exceeding them, or it falls short. So one way or the other, expectations can be really interesting in life. Now, if you were to read the books in the Bible that tell the story of the life of Jesus while he was here on earth, the books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, if you were to read them for the very first time, I think there'd be a lot of things that Jesus did that you'd go, whoa, 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 I, <laughs> I didn't see that coming. I didn't see that one coming. See, there's so many things through the stories of Jesus' life that, that he did that blew people's minds, that, that, that upended their expectations. And back then, the people of God, the Jewish people, they had a lot of expectations but it seems like Jesus was always flipping the script. And part of that is because Jesus was living in a much different story than they were. He, he was living in a much larger story than they were or than we are. Which is, which is part of the deal when it comes to expectations. What story are we living in? Or maybe think of it this way. Which kingdom are we putting our trust in? See, there's the kingdom of God, which is the kingdom that Jesus brought and preached. It was a kingdom that could be described as power under. It's the way of sacrifice, of love. It's the way of the cross, ultimately. That's the kingdom of God. It's power under. And the other kingdom would be the kingdoms of this world, which are all built on power over the power of the sword might makes rights. Which kingdom do we put our trust in? Well, today, again, is the start of what is called Holy Week, Palm Sunday today. 
ending with the celebration of Easter Sunday. But today, I think, Palm Sunday is one of the clearest examples of Jesus flipping the script because he's living in a much different story, a much different kingdom than the people around him lived in. Now, all four Gospels tell the story of what uh, is labeled usually the triumphal entry where Jesus comes into Jerusalem. And we're going to look at the one uh, in Matthew, Matthew 21. And just to catch you up, Jesus had told some of his disciples to go and get a donkey and a colt. They're on their way into Jerusalem for the Passover, big celebration. Um, and he said, go get a donkey uh, and a colt. This is a part of actually an Old Testament prophecy by Zechariah that the coming of the Messiah, that this would be a part of it. So they go and do this. Matthew tells us now, verse 7, they, the disciples, brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the roads. That's the palm part there. And and we could actually go into quite a bit on the significance of spreading their cloaks and the palms and Old Testament kings and how some of that went down. But for lack of time, there was some significance. It wasn't just random. It meant something. Verse 9 tells us, the crowds that went ahead of Jesus And those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. We'll just stop right there for now. So Jesus, picture this, he enters in, it causes a massive chaotic stir. People notice uh, the crowds following him as he rides on this donkey. They're screaming and crying, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And that Hosanna word, um, it means save us now. That's what Hosanna means, save us now and what the Jewish people wanted to be saved from was very specifically something. They wanted to be saved from the occupation of their land by the Roman Empire who was living there. So that's kind of the context here of, or the first part anyway, of of Palm Sunday. That's the story of the story. Now, when it comes to Palm Sunday, I don't know about you, but for me, growing up in church and having Sunday school and kids' church, I actually kind of loved Palm Sunday, right? We would sing all the hosannas and, and wave the palm branches. And sometimes we would act out like the Jesus, you know, hosanna parade. They would never get a donkey, though. I was really disappointed. <laughs> Don't know who would have cleaned up after the donkey. Maybe that's why. But, 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 but when you're a kid, um, you know, Palm Sunday, it just seems like a parade, like it's fun and good. And I think for children, um, that's okay. Maybe for children, that's okay. But for us who are adults, um, I think we have to acknowledge that Palm Sunday is actually really complicated. It's very complicated. There's some twists to this that we don't always notice when we just read that part of the story. In fact, um, when we connect the dots, and this happens all over scripture, when we actually step back from an episode and connect the story to the context, to the larger story around it, it sheds more light on the story 
And actually, by connecting those dots for me probably eh, 10, 15 years ago, my pastor, Dave Johnson, who um, just left after being with us for a month here, went back to Minnesota, but, um, but he actually kind of wrecked Palm Sunday for me on this stuff. So, um, so you're welcome. I'm going to wreck your Palm Sunday as well. <laughs> but you can blame Dave. Um, but, but think about this. Um, the rest of the story. Uh, on Sunday, pick it up again here, the crowd shouting, Hosanna, save us now. And it sounds kind of like, you know, whoo, that's just awesome worship, right? That's Sunday. Now go through the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday by Friday. The same crowd had turned on Jesus. Same crowd turned on Jesus. Matthew 27 tells us what happened on Friday, verse 16. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate, the governor, asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, to the crowd? Jesus Barabbas, or Jesus is who is called the Messiah. This was a custom that they did at every festival. And verse 18 says, for he, Pilate, knew that it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. Verse 21, again, he asked, which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. Pilate asked, what shall I do then with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And think of this, that same crowd that just a few days earlier cried, Hosanna, Jesus, save us. You are the king. You are our king this time. Friday, Jesus, Jesus, crucify him. Crucify him. See, the story of Palm Sunday, when we just isolate it, don't put it in its context. Actually, yeah, it can sound like a, it's just, Woo, this is great, wonderful, worship Hosanna, Jesus, we bow to you, you're the king. But does it change anything for you when we read ahead in the story and realize that the same crowd that was seemingly crying out in passionate worship on Sunday wanted him dead on Friday? The same ones who looked like these beautiful, wonderful worshipers on Sunday, you fast forward a few days and they're, they're screaming, crucify him and give us Barabbas. Does that does that impact the story for you at all? See, I think it means, among other things, that, that their Sunday hosannas were shallow, that they were cheap, that they were fickle, actually making a mockery of true worship, which for me begs the question, what were they expecting on Palm Sunday? What were they expecting? What was their expectation? I believe it's important for us to ponder that, to think about that. And, and, and when they realized that they were expecting or demanding of Jesus the things they were expecting, that he, he didn't line up with their agenda, then how did it change? Actually, maybe more importantly, what might Jesus be saying to us as the people of God through this Palm Sunday story? Because they were the people of God too. Back then, the people that were crying out hosannas, they were the people of God. They were the Jews, the religious folks. They knew their scriptures. They were passionate about God. They were actually right there in Jerusalem to celebrate this big religious festival and feast, the week of Passover. And the long-awaited Messiah actually did show up. And they missed it because they were looking for a very different Messiah. They were looking for one that gave them political riches and power. And I just want to wonder how maybe we could avoid falling into that same 
trap, the trap of missing out on the actual Jesus, which, again, I believe is going to be one of the questions that you'll explore in your small groups this week. Um, But how might we avoid falling into that same trap that the people back then fell into? Now, as we just let that kind of sink in, let me tell you a little more about the Palm Sunday story, uh, which for me helps give me a better picture of what was actually happening on that first Palm Sunday. See, back at that time in history, the Roman government controlled all of Israel. And as you can imagine, the Jews were not excited about being oppressed or occupied. And so here we are, the beginning of Passover week, which is a major celebration for the Jewish people. And what they celebrate at Passover was, does anybody remember where they were set free from many hundreds of years before? Egypt. They're celebrating being set free from Egypt. Now imagine they're being oppressed now again. Passover could be a signal of hope. God, would you do it again? Would you do it again? Would you set us free again? So it's really amped up, ramped up time for them. I mean, it might even be comparable to if someone had, if a nation ever overtook the United States and, and, um, and the 4th of July comes around, wouldn't that be a time where we would maybe feel even more urgency or fervency toward freedom, right? It'd be a very similar thing except add a lot of their religious uh, overtones to it. Now, Passover is a big deal, and they, they say that, that a Jewish male, um, every Jewish male, would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem every, at least every three years. And so when Passover happened, the, the city of Jerusalem would grow by as much as 10 times during Passover week. So imagine this. Picture this. There's people everywhere. There's a buzz in the air because it's Passover. It's a significant week. But, but, but there's a buzz for more reasons than just that. And this is, I think, really important for us to know. A hundred years before this episode of Palm Sunday, uh, about a hundred years before that, Rome had conquered Israel. Now, how the Roman Empire would govern, because they were over so many countries, and Israel was really this kind of small nation that was pretty insignificant, and they were really, the people were very pesky. It was probably um, not as much, it was not worth the work they had to do to govern Israel, but they still uh, were over Israel. And so how they would govern all the nations to kind of keep things in line um, is they would let that local culture and some of those religions exist. You can keep doing that as long as the people there knew that, that their number one allegiance had to be to Rome. So in other words, hey, hey, guys, you can be Jewish. You can celebrate the Passover as long as you don't forget who's in charge. That's Rome's posture. It's a posture of the power over power of the sword kingdom of this world. We're in charge. Who's in control? So imagine you've got the Jewish people this time that's very uh, prideful, a lot of pride in, in, in their heritage. They come together for Passover. They're going to celebrate together. Um, but Rome knows it's very important if you're Rome that you got to flex your muscle. you got to show them in the midst of all their hype and excitement, you got to show them who's really in control. And here's how Rome would do that. Um, there was actually two parades in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. We already heard about the one that we're familiar from the East Gate where Jesus came in. He had come from the Mount of Olives, so it had to have been the East Gate that he came through. But history records, uh, history records that every year during Passover, there was also a parade that came from the other gate. 
See, Rome would actually have a military parade. There would be an army of soldiers led by the governor, and they would come in through the west gate. Anybody remember the name of the governor at the time? There you go, Pontius Pilate. And so what we call Palm Sunday on, on probably, they say, March 29th, uh, either 30 or 33 B.C., um, or I'm sorry, A.D., that day, that day was the day when Pontius Pilate would have come and paraded into town from the west gate while Jesus came in the other gate. Now, Pontius Pilate's parade was very intentional. It was well planned out. He wanted to communicate something to the people of Israel. So he is riding a mighty war horse, and he is leading an army. It would have been a very impressive sight. And the message that it sent was loud and clear. Hey, hey, don't mess with Rome. We're in control. And historians tell us this parade was actually a regular annual event. And the people who lived in and around Jerusalem, they knew that this was a part of, okay, Passover's going to kick off, and then they're going to do this little, you know, Roman parade just to, you know, rub it in our noses. It was expected. It was known. So interestingly, then probably Jesus would have known about it too. And so it seems this year on this parade, that Jesus planned his parade, which was actually kind of a counter parade. And so as Romans march their parade in Jerusalem from the west, Jesus' parade comes from the east. Oh, and Jesus comes in from the east, not on a horse to demonstrate power over military might of the kingdoms of this world. Jesus, instead, he's riding a what? A donkey. In fact, it's a like the cult of a donkey. It's like a baby donkey. Which, among other things, um, I think means that Jesus, his parade was a clear statement that his kingdom, which was a real kingdom, but his kingdom was not about war and kingdoms of political power. It was not a power over kingdom. It's a power under kingdom. It's a kingdom of God kind of kingdom, which depends on the way of love and the way of sacrifice and the way of the cross. It's a kingdom of peace, not war. And what he taught us um, for three years, he taught the kingdom of God. And this parade was a demonstration of all that he had been teaching about the kingdom of God. And again, imagine he does his parade, and this is a very different story than any of the people would have imagined or expected. But you know, Jesus, he likes to flip the script. (laughs) Now, in every way, when Jesus does this, he is subverting, he is also subverting and and undermining, really, um, dismantling the demands and the expectation of the crowd, of the people, because they wanted him to revolt and to lead this revolt on Passover weekend when the city was jam-packed with willing revolutionaries who were ready to kick Rome out. It must be the will of God. Here he comes. Let's do this. It's God's will. We're going to follow Jesus, and we're going to make Israel great again. And that would have been their heart. We're going to get that back, and we're going to do it by force. The kingdom of this world strategy. So, again, the big question, how did the crowd go from Hosanna on Sunday to crucify him and give us Barabbas on Friday? I believe a big part of it is misguided expectations. Um, It's putting their trust in the wrong kingdom. 
And it's believing that the way to bring about the kingdom of God was by gaining power over their adversaries. So when Jesus flipped the script, instead of them trusting him and following him, like, okay, this isn't what we expected, but he, he's the Messiah, and okay, he, maybe he knows what he's doing. Instead of that, they turn on him. Instead of crying out, Hosanna, save us, Jesus, they say crucify him. Ironically, when they cry out, Hosanna, save us, when they cried that out, um, Jesus actually was coming to save them. They just didn't know it. To bring freedom, to bring peace. That's what they wanted. That's what he was bringing. But you gotta remember again with Jesus, it's not what we expect. He loves to flip the script. That's how his kingdom works because he wasn't coming to defeat the Romans. He was coming to defeat an enemy called death. And he wasn't coming to liberate them from endless taxation as bad as that was, he was coming to liberate them and us from sin. And and he wasn't coming to set up a patriotic kingdom of power and might and military kingdom that happens right here and now. He came to establish his kingdom, a kingdom of peace, of mercy, of justice that would reign forever and ever and ever. And it's not what they expected. It's not what they thought the Messiah would be It's not what they anticipated, but again, if we haven't figured it out by now, when it comes to Jesus, it's almost never what we expect, is it? And so that's why the crowd turned on him. You know, said maybe another way, Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday reveals two kinds of worshipers. On the one hand, we have worshipers who were with Jesus on his terms. There probably were people in that crowd worshiping Jesus with, with, with authentic hearts on his terms, trusting him no matter what he said or did. Those are one kind of worshiper. But in the crowd, there was the other kind of worshiper, those who were with Jesus on their own terms. So here we are, Palm Sunday, story of two parades happening probably at the same time, one from the East Gate of Jerusalem one from the west entry, from opposite directions, two parades, one led by Pontius Pilate's power over, one led by Jesus of Nazareth, power under. One is a military parade where it's about the power of the sword. One is about the kingdom of God, power under power of the cross kind of parade. And even to this day, We, you and I, we have to decide which parade we are going to march in, don't we? See, Jesus was a different kind of Messiah. Um, He was not interested in advancing the kingdoms of this world. He was interested in bringing the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God, my friends, we say this here a lot, but the kingdom of God will subvert every other kingdom, including yours and including mine. That's how the kingdom of God works. You know, I think when we look at Palm Sunday from our perspective um, and what really went on in the larger story, in some ways it's a bit of a confrontation. And I also think it's an invitation. It's an invitation for you and I to look at that story and to stop and wonder, wow, do, do I really trust Jesus? Do I wanna trust Jesus? 
to save me the way that he knows I need saving? Or is my worship or my following Jesus, is it dependent on him saving me the way I think I need to be saved or want to be saved? Am I maybe following a version and calling it Jesus, a version of Jesus that fits very nicely within my agenda, my priorities, my desires for life and fulfillments? Or am I following the actual Jesus who might not always seem like he's cooperating with my agenda? And again, the question, which parade will we choose? Which parade will we choose? See, again, I think too often, um, and I'll say this about me, I think too often I worship Jesus on my own terms. As long as he's the kind of king I want him to be or think I need him to be, But then when he turns out to be a different kind of king, then what? See, that's why we need to choose which parade we will march in. Which parade? I mean, think think of it this way. How will we worship? Are we going to worship Jesus on his terms or on our own terms? Right? If I'm going to worship Jesus on my own terms, then it's going to be, hey, as long as he keeps the bargain that I thought I signed up for in this Christianity thing, then I will worship and only then I will follow. Or or as long as he supports my political cause or my economic preferences, then then I'll follow Jesus. Or or as long as he and scriptures don't mess with my views on sexuality, then then I'll follow. Or or as as long as he stays away from my money, okay, then I'll follow. Or along as, as long as my, whatever your deal is, my, my spouse is faithful or my job is secure, then I'll follow. As, as long as I get the life that I think he owes me, then I'll follow. Then I'll let him be king. But if he doesn't do what I want him to do, or if he doesn't keep me from experiencing pain and loss, then sometimes we just as quickly flip and say, okay, give us Barabbas. I'm gonna find someone or some group who says the things that I wanna hear. Or maybe I'll just walk away from the whole thing. Now, it's kind of a heavy word. This is not normally how we roll here, but it's Palm Sunday. (laughs) And I'm wrecking your Palm Sunday, right? Um, and, and here's the deal, because I don't want us to walk out of here with shame or guilt or feeling deficient. Um, and I, don't, I know that Jesus doesn't want that either. That's not the way of the Holy Spirit. Um, because here's what I know. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are a Christian, if you belong to him, if you're a child of God, um, what I know about us, what I know about you is that our hearts want to worship and follow Jesus on his terms. That's what our hearts really are drawn to. Because if you have the life of God in you, it is already pre-wired into your DNA, your identity as a child of God. And so deep inside, you actually know, even if you have to scratch past it with all the other things that get confusing, deepest part of you, deepest part of me in Christ, we know that his way is the best way. We know that deepest inside, which is part of why um, when you or I get involved in political posturing and bickering, um, which, you know, oftentimes we do that and we revert to this power over kingdom of this world way of living by trying to fight over people all the time. When we do that, that's why it starts to choke our heart and we notice that because it's not consistent with who we really are in Christ. 
When I start arguing my opinion and I revert to this power over way that, that dishonors people and is unkind or starts to call names or, or, or start using phrases that are insulting, when I revert to that or when we revert to that, something in us goes, oh, that's not right because it chokes our spirits. It interrupts the flow of the Holy Spirit in our life when we go down those easy roads to go down. And we do it. We almost all of us do it. Maybe not St. Debbie, but the rest of us, <laughs> we, we have a tendency. <laughs> uh, you know about St. Debbie if you were there yesterday. Yes, so. <clears throat> but when we get caught doing that, um, there's something in us that goes, that's not right. I know that's not right. That's because the life of God is in you and wants to align with his kingdom and his way. See, when we go the other way, though, when we get away from what God lines us up to live in his kingdom and his way, when I choose to ignore the way of Jesus as it pertains to my finances, um, when I do that, then I am stuck with a life of scarcity and grasping that it's never enough. Or when I choose to ignore the way of Jesus or, and, and trust him with um, my sexuality, then it leads to emptiness, loneliness, addiction, a sense that, that I will never be filled, that I will never have enough, that I will never be truly unconditionally loved. Or when I choose to ignore the way, the teachings of Jesus as it pertains to my relationships with other people, when I ignore that, then it leads to a life filled with hostility and strife and control and manipulation and hiding and loneliness. And when we, who are the people of God with the life of God in us, when we go down that other road, Instead of the road he's wired in us, we go down that other road, it wears us out. It just does, because you're not made to live that way. That's not the kingdom you were wired for. See, the heart to trust in Jesus, to worship him, to align with his way, it's already in you, friends. <laughs> it's already in you. He rigged the universe so that when we walk in his way and following Jesus, it's the only way that leads to a life worth living. It's the only way. Now, notice I didn't say that walking that way, it's not an easy life. I'm not saying it's a smooth life. I'm not saying it's a life without troubles or heartache or conflict, but it is a life worth living. So from that heart, the heart that you've been given, the heart that God has placed inside of you, even if you can barely feel it beating, from that heart, what would Hosanna sound like? From a heart of trust, when we sing Hosanna, a heart of trust, or at least a heart that's willing to learn to trust, to trust that when we say Hosanna, save us now, Jesus, that we actually can trust that he knows what we need saving from better than we even know. Hosanna, for us to actually sing a real Hosanna, not an artificial one. Hosanna, Jesus, save us now, aligning it with what Jesus' ideas are of what we actually need saving from and what he came to save us from, friends, was sin and death. He ransomed us and this entire world from the grip of Satan, who we had given authority to as humankind when we sinned in the Garden of Eden, but Jesus came to take it back. He ransomed us. He paid the price for our freedom. That's why he came. That's the kingdom that he brought. And he offers us a path to life worth 
living and it's a life in his kingdom that follows and trusts his way. He flipped the script. He flipped the script and when we lose track, when we lose track of that, I believe that Jesus loves us enough to keep flipping the script and invites us to swap out our expectations of power and control in a perfect little life and instead choose his way in the kingdom, trusting that he really does know what will work for each of us. Worship team, will you come? Listen, I, I, I just want to wonder again what choosing that Jesus parade means. Um, even more so, what's it sound like when we choose that Jesus parade to actually have a real Hosanna come out of our lips? Um, a Hosanna that doesn't sound like those empty, fickle Hosannas in the parade on the first Palm Sunday that we've already wrecked for you, right? But what does a real Hosanna sound like when it comes from a heart that cries out, Jesus, save us. I know that you know what we need. You are our king. We trust you. Hosanna to you, Jesus. I will follow you. And Hope Family, I know that we often close with kind of a quiet, reflective song. But today on Palm Sunday, I would love for us to end and blow the doors off as we sing out our real hosannas, authentic hosannas to Jesus in worship, looking to Jesus to save us, looking for us to say, Hosanna, Jesus, I'm gonna follow you on your terms, not on our terms, but on your terms, I wanna follow you, Jesus. And as a way for us to declare which parade that we're choosing to be a part of, that we're gonna choose the Jesus parade, the Jesus path, the kingdom of God way of loving and serving, can we sing Hosanna as we celebrate Jesus as the King of Kings, as the Lord of Lords, and as the Lord of our life? And so I want you to stand with me and I'm gonna pray and then I want us to sing this Hosanna song as loud as we possibly can. So let's pray. Jesus, this morning, we wanna cry out a Hosanna, an authentic, real Hosanna, a save us Jesus, a save me Jesus that aligns with your intentions for each of our lives and for our community. Hosanna, save us, Jesus. Heal our hearts. Make our hearts clean. Open up our eyes to what we cannot see. Save us by allowing our hearts to break for the things that break the heart of God, that we would love mercy and do justice and walk humbly with you, God. Will you save us and save me, God, by showing me how to love others like you have loved me Hosanna, Hosanna, save me, Jesus, the way you know I need to be saved. Amen. Amen, Hope family, let's sing to our King now.